Good morning. Uh, this morning sermon is brought to you by Carvana. <laughs> uh, we get no money from Carvana, and we just got this because we got a car from Carvana, returned it, but they said we could keep the glass. So, um, but it's good to be back with you all this morning, and uh, like always, just if you comment in the comment section as we go along, it's it's helpful for everybody just to interact together. And uh, I, I do want to, Jessica, pray for us, but I just want to pray again real, real quick. Holy Spirit, we give you this time. We ask that you would just baptize our hearts with your fire and with your hunger and thirst, that you would bring us into all truth, that you would open up your word before us, that you would open up our eyes to behold wondrous things from your law, that you would enlarge our hearts that we may run in the way of your commandments. We want to love Jesus more. We want to love you more, Holy Spirit. We want to love the Father more. And we need you to open our eyes, open our ears, and open our hearts. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, um, I want to talk about two foundations this morning, and it's we're going to come uh, from Matthew chapter 7 where Jesus talks about the two foundations that you can build upon. And then we're going to go through Psalm 119. And, uh, you know, they teach you in seminary to have an introduction, three points, and a conclusion. My sermon this morning has like 33 points, but I don't want you logging off quite yet because they're going to be, we're going to go through them, and we're going to go through it together in Psalm 119. But uh, Psalm 11, verse 3, I'll just read this one to you. It says, if the foundations are destroyed, what can the righteous do? And so right now, what we're experiencing in our nation is, is, is a shaking and, you know, God says in his word that everything that can be shaken will be shaken. And I've, and I've been thanking the Lord for his shakings, even though they are making me uncomfortable in, in ways and exposing me in ways. But I know that what God is doing is that he's, he's shaking for the purpose of that his kingdom can be manifested and come forth in greater measure. And, uh, you know, I've, I do believe that this, what we're experiencing in our nation is a, a judgment of sorts, not in the kind of judgments that we may think that where everybody gets smited and eliminated, but that it's a judgment in the, in the sense of a separation. Now, whenever you think about a judge passing forth a judgment, it, it separates who's in the right, who's in the wrong, who's being rewarded, who's being punished, and all those types of things when it's a case between two people. And so uh, I do think that we're in a experiencing a judgment, but this the purposes of God's judgments are to remove everything that hinders love. That's what that's the purpose of God's judgments, is to remove everything that hinders love. And so it's a so sometimes the shakings are idols in our hearts that's hindering actually us experiencing more of God's love. Sometimes it's things that are 
uh, above us, so to speak, and in our governments and in our nations that's that's hindering things that uh, the God they're hindering God's love that you know like abortion in our nation and 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 many other things uh, and so. Right now, the foundations uh, are being shaken that are built with man's hands. But there's also another agenda. There's, you know, our, our nation was built upon uh, Judeo-Christian principles. Not all of the founding fathers were Christians, uh, but they did see the value in Judeo-Christian principles. And as a result, um, America was founded upon a, a democratic republic, which many nations in the years following 1776 uh, adopted and modeled their governments after the United States of America. And uh, our country obviously has uh, many atrocities that have occurred along the way since 1776 and before uh, slavery, uh, treatment of Native Americans, and other things that are evil in God's sight. Um, with that being said, the premise of our government has been to allow power to the people to make changes when things are wrong. And that has happened over the course of time, you know, with uh, civil rights movement, and, and other things that we're still progressing towards. But my point is, is that there is a, a, an agenda to actually destroy America at the foundations, to destroy it as a democratic republic, and to take power out of the people's hands. And this is a Marxist agenda, which Marxism sounds really good when you read it. It just doesn't work. It doesn't work. It didn't work in Russia, didn't work in Venezuela. All these countries are resource rich and Marxism has stripped it, destroyed it, and killed it. Uh, China as well. And so it is a, uh, it's, it's man's attempt to try to create a utopia is, is Marxism. And what I feel like, I think the millennial generation is so accurately named because I believe in this generation for whatever reason the millennial generation there is a hunger for the millennial kingdom they want it they want to see justice and, and fairness and equity and unity in the earth but if you don't know Jesus it's you can't it's never going to happen without Jesus you're never going to get a righteous king without Jesus and so what they're looking for in the, the Marxist and uh, you know, these Marxist organizations, Black Lives Matter, Antifa, they're trying to create a, a millennial kingdom without the king. And it just doesn't, it's not going to work. What you're going to end up having is a few people in power who rule over everybody else. You're actually going to have a fascist system. And that's the irony of Antifa, is they're actually a pro-fascist. Pro and so um, this is a demonic ideology that's trying to destroy nations. And, and if you think that like God doesn't care about nations, that all he cares about is his people, then you have to read in Jeremiah 29, where 
the Jewish people have been exiled into Babylon because of their sin. And this is their, the, the judgment to, to help rend their hearts and bring them back to God is to actually be taken out of their land and then put in exile in Babylon. And what were the instructions God gave the Jewish people in Babylon? Well, when you read in Jeremiah 29, he says, build houses, plant vineyards, pray for the prosperity and welfare of your city. So they're in evil Babylon, and God's telling them to pray for the welfare of Babylon because he says in, in that city, Babylon, which represented a nation as well, in that city's prosperity, you will find prosperity. In that city's welfare, you will find welfare. And so wherever you are planted, whatever nation of the world, we're called to plant for that nation to be blessed and to prosper. And it doesn't mean that we don't try to correct things that need to be corrected. I'm not saying that at all. But what I'm saying is, is that I believe that America was founded on a good foundation, a Judeo-Christian foundation of principles where uh, you have that you can actually change things and allow freedom for people uh, as the years go on and as injustices are exposed. So that being said, um, pray for the United States. There is, there is, I see pastors out there that it's like they hate the United States, and I don't understand why they do that if they're raising their children in the United States. And uh, you want to because you want to pray for the for the nation or the city that you're living in, and you want to see it do well. And ultimately, the only way a nation can do well is for Jesus to be exalted. In that nation so we that's what we pray we want a great awakening to sweep across america again so matthew chapter 7 jesus tells uh the parable of the found the two foundations he says everyone who hears these words of mine this is verse 24 everyone who hears the, these words of mine and acts on them may be compared to a wise man who has built his house on the rock and the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against that house, and yet it did not fall, for it had been founded on the rock. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does not act on them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and slammed against the house, and it fell, and it was a great fall. When Jesus had finished these words, the crowds were amazed at his teaching, for he was teaching them as one as having authority, not as their scribes. Now the scribes knew the law, but they didn't have authority. Jesus knew the law. He knew the Pentateuch. He knew the prophets. But he had authority. So what was the difference between Jesus and the scribes? Well, first of all, your, your life has to be built upon the word of God. And you actually have to trust that word. You actually have to obey the word. And Jesus, the key phrase in here is anyone who hears my words. It's not if you hear the word that you're built upon the rock. It's when you hear it and you do the word that your life is built upon the rock. And so what gave Jesus authority above the scribes is that he was obedient to the word of God. The scribes knew the word, but they weren't obedient to the word. And so... Just like James said, is that 
you know, your, your faith is proven by your action. And so faith has a substance to us, and faith and love, it looks like something. It's not just, I, I believe, and, you know, that's, that's what a lot of people, that's a religious spirit, really, is, is when you're saying, I love God, but you don't help your neighbor out. And so there's nothing to prove your love for God. And so this is what Jesus is saying, when you act, when you act on my words, then your life, you can't be shaken when you're obedient, when you actually bless your enemies, when you, when you overlook offenses, when you forgive, when you're generous, all of these things, you're building your life upon a rock where you can't be shaken. And so if you've been building a life of generosity up until this point in, in our nation's history, in the world's history, then more likely you're not as shaken by any kind of economic uh, instability because you know that God's your provider. And so this morning I want to talk about the benefits of building your life upon the rock. And so before you can even act on God's word, you actually have to know God's word. That's, all, that's the first step. We, we have to know what it says. Then Holy Spirit gives us the grace and his ability to actually live them out as we obey in our, in our weak obedience. I call it weak obedience because in our feeble attempts, because we may be scared and we may not know what we're doing, but that's not required to actually walk in obedience to God. Last week, I was just spending time with the Lord, and he just spoke this word to me. He said, pleasure doesn't require perfection. And so that God's delight in us is not dependent upon our perfection or how well we obey him. It's our, it's our heart's inclination towards him. And, and our, he, he loved us first before we ever loved him, right? And so that's what we always have to remember is, is to receive his love first before you can ever try to give it away. And so th some things about the word of God is that it's unchanging, it's sufficient, it's eternal, it does not return void. It's powerful, effective. It's like a fire and a hammer. It's pure, it's perfect, and it's a double-edged sword. Okay? And so I want you to turn to Psalm 119 because it's going to help you if you follow along with me as we, we go through some of these verses. This, is, this chapter in Psalm is, is longer than a lot of books in the Bible. So I didn't go through the whole thing. I just kind of picked and chewed chose some things that were speaking to me out of this. So we're actually we're going to start in verse 1 of Psalm 119. Psalm 119 is so good. I pray this I prayed this through this psalm over my kids many many times. And it's because I want I want my children to have a love God's word and to, to cultivate a uh, a lifestyle of taking in God's word and meditating on it. But in verse one it says, "Blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord." So there's actually blessing when we obey the Lord. Verse three, they also do no unrighteousness; they walk in His ways. So the word of God keeps us from unrighteousness. And I'm just going to, I'm just blitzing through this. All right. Because I just want to saturate us 
and the benefits of God's word as we go through Psalm 119. Verse 7. I shall give thanks to you with uprightness of heart when I learn of your righteous judgments. So God's word will actually cause you to give thanks. It helps cultivate thankfulness in your life. Verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. The only way a person can have a pure heart, have pure motives, and keep their way pure is by keeping it according to God's word. No matter how noble your intentions are, it's only by keeping God's word. Verse 11, your word I've treasured in my heart that I may not sin against you. God's word keeps us from sinning against the Father. Verse 18, open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Wonderful things are hidden in God's word that only Holy Spirit can reveal to us. Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. He's the one that, that actually leads us into all truth. And so, you know, there, there's people that don't know the Lord that touch on concepts of truth and principles of truth. And there's even other principles of, of truth in other religions as far as, you know, you hear people talk about karma. Well, that's the law of sowing and reaping. And, and they've observed that through, through life as like, hey, when you, when you sow bad things, you, t you tend to reap bad things. You sow good things, you tend to reap good things. Well, that's a principle, that's a universal principle that affects all humankind. And so through observation, you, can, there's, you actually are able to see the law and precepts of God in nature and in the world. Verse 19, I'm a stranger in the earth. Do not hide your commandments from me. This is not our home. We're strangers. We're pilgrims. We're living from a different reality, a different kingdom. The ways of God will be seen as weird or foolish in the eyes of the world. And so we're never meant to look like the world. Uh, you know, relevance doesn't change the world. Being conformed to the image of Christ is what changes the world. And I'm not saying you don't make things understandable uh, for, for people that don't know the Lord. You know, you can't go out into the marketplace and use uh, Christianese on people. It's like, yeah, the anointing was great and the, the presence and the Shekinah glory, you know, all, all those things. Nobody's going to understand that. But which, what the church has done and what God's shaking out of us is that we've conform to the world instead of lifting up a standard of what the world of what God looks like and what the gospel uh, message is verse 23 even though princes sit and talk against me your servant meditates on your statues so the word protects you from the influence of principalities that can be over cities regions and nations there's Christians in Cities and nations that are demonically oppressed, how are they staying out from under the influence of these principalities where well, they're, they're rooted in the Word of God and they're living it out? They're doing what it says. Verse 24, your testimonies are my delight. They are my counselors. God's Word counsels us, gives us direction. Verse 29, 
Remove the faults away from me and graciously grant me your law. God's word keeps us from falsehood and deception. This is key. In Matthew 24, when Jesus is giving the description of the end days, the last days, he says, see to it that you are not deceived. That's the main thing he says. And then he lists all of the things that are going to, what the last days are going to look like. So see to it that you're not deceived. See to it that you're not misled. That's the, the major warning in Matthew 24. Part of not being deceived is being rooted in the word. Verse 32, I shall run in the way of your commandments, for you will enlarge my heart. God's word enlarges our heart to run with him and grow in love with him, for him. Verse 36, incline my heart to your testimonies and not to dishonest gain. God's word keeps us from selfishness and greed. Verse 37, turn away my eyes from looking at vanity and revive me in your ways. God's word helps us know which things are a waste of time, which are vain. I mean, that's when I when I hear the word vain, I'm just like, it's a waste. Like you're wasting your time. You're wasting your effort. And so uh, it keeps us from wasting our time. Verse 38, establish your word to your servant as that which produces reverence for you. So God's word produces reverence in the fear of the Lord. Verse 39, turn away my reproach, which I dread for your ordinances are good. God's word breaks shame and condemnation off of us. Verse 41. May your loving kindness also come to me, O Lord, your salvation according to your word. We tangibly experience God's love and compassion through the word. That's how we come into experience with him. That's how we know what, we, what we're allowed to experience. Verse 45. And I will walk at liberty, for I seek your precepts. Uh, John chapter 8 says that where the Spirit of the Lord, or that God's, the truth sets us free when we know the truth and when we abide in the truth. God's Word gives us freedom and liberty. For, uh, 1 John chapter 5 says for this, in verse 3, for, it says, For this is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. 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 The devil wants you to believe that God is a joy kill, that he's a tyrant, that he's an oppressor. That's actually what the devil is. He's trying to tell you who he is by lying about God. Verse 46, I'll also speak of your testimonies before kings and shall not be ashamed. So God's word gives us confidence before women and men of influence and allows us to influence them because God's word is so powerful. Verse 48, I shall lift up my hands to your commandments, which I love, and I will meditate on your statutes. God's word causes us to lift our hearts and hands up in worship. Verse 50, this is my comfort and my affliction that your word has revived us, has revived me. So God's word comforts us, it revives us. Verse 51, the arrogant utterly deride me, yet I do not turn aside from your law. God's word helps us during times of persecution and slander. Listen, just because you, you call yourself a follower of Christ, there's going to come persecution and slander with that. It's not going to be cool 
to be a Christian at some point in your life. It's not going to be cool to be a Christian at some point in your life. And people will, will label you things that are not true of you. Verse 53, burning indignation has seized me because of the wicked who forsake your law. So the fire of God baptizes our heart and we love the things that God loves and hates the, hate the things that God hates. Well, what are the things that God hates? Proverbs chapter 8 verse 13 says this, these are the things that God hates. It says the fear of the Lord is to hate evil. The fear of the Lord causes us to hate pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverted mouth. So those are the things that it says God hates in the word. Verse 58, I sought your favor with all my heart. Be gracious to me according to your word. So God's word produces favor in our lives when we obey it. When you obey the word of the Lord, it produces favor in your life. The cords of the wicked have encircled you, have encircled me, but I have not forgotten your law. God's word keeps us from the traps of wickedness and wicked men. Maybe you're you work in a at a job where they want you to compromise your standards or do something immoral, something unethical. And because you're rooted in Christ, you're rooted in the word, you know what the word says about those things, that you're able to not get ensnared in a trap of wickedness. Verse 64, the earth is full of your loving kindness, O Lord, teach me your statutes. So God's word causes us to, to revere God and his glory in creation. Verse 66, teach me good discernment and knowledge, for I believe in your commandments. God's word gives us knowledge and discernment. It, it, it lets us know what's off, what's a red flag, what's good, what's not. Verse 68, you are good and do good. Teach me your statutes. This is the, the character reference of God in six, six words. You are good and do good. <laughs> That's God's character reference in six words. All right. So God's word reveals his goodness. Seven, uh, verse 71, it is good for me that I was afflicted, that I may learn your statutes. God's word gives pain a purpose. God's word gives pain a purpose. Don't waste pain. Don't waste pain. Don't waste suffering. Let it make you more like Jesus. Let it conform you into the image of Jesus. Verse 72, the law of your mouth is better to me than thousands of gold and silver pieces. So God's word helps us understand what is actually valuable, what is actually eternal. Silver and gold is going to pass away. So what, what are the things that last forever? These are the things that we're to invest our life in. God's not opposed to silver and gold, but he just wants us to understand it's temporary. Naked we enter into this world, naked we depart. Some of y'all say naked, naked, but I say naked. So either way, you don't have any clothes on. And so uh, <laughs> I digress. Here we go. Verse 73, your hands made me and fashioned me. 
Give me understanding that I may learn your commandments. So God's word produces reverence for life and people being made in the image of God. So this, so God's word will produce reverence for life, reverence for the unborn, reverence for people who are different from us, of different cultures, of different skin shades, all right? And, and I say skin shades because we, we all have the same melanin. We're different, but we, we, we're so much more alike than we are different. And so you, it produces a reverence for life. It produces a reverence for the person that you see. The, maybe it's the, the beggar on the street. Maybe it's your, a family member or whatever. It causes us to, to revere life. Verse 92, if your law had not been my delight, then I would have perished in my affliction. Again, it keeps us from wasting afflictions, testings, and persecutions. Verse 98, your commandments make me wiser than my enemies, for they are ever mine. It's just straightforward. It make, God's word allows you to outsmart the devil. God's word allows you to outsmart the devil. It makes you wiser than your enemies. Verse 99, I have more insight than all my teachers for your testimonies or my meditation. I understand more than the age because I've observed your precepts. So, Wisdom is not restricted by age. It's only restricted by your love for God and His Word. So, Andrew Murray, if I am remembering this correctly, he wrote one of the greatest books I've ever read called Humility. You would have thought an 85-year-old man who had lived a full life wrote that thing. He was 23 years old. And it's one of the greatest books on humility. I'm like, how can a 23-year-old have that understanding of humility? It's because he loved God. It's because he loved God's Word. Verse 103, how sweet are your words to my taste? Yes, sweeter than honey to my mouth. So reading and meditating on God's Word will become a treat to us. Maybe right now, it's like a lean cuisine or uh, actually or whatever your not least favorite food is. And you're, you're like, man, it's hard to eat this thing. If you just keep eating, Josiah ate tomatoes for the first time the other day. And he said, this actually, this is actually good. And so sometimes for some of you, it's, it hasn't been this natural draw to the word. And I just want to bless you and say, like, listen, it's it's okay to be on that journey, but just eat that tomato for the first time, and 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 you get that one taste is like, hey, this isn't half bad, and then eventually it becomes like honey to you. It becomes sweet, and it becomes a treat. It becomes like what you what you long for. Sorry, just I didn't mean to expose you on national television. I mean, we got. This huge audience right here. I'm glad it got out. <laughs> Just how I say you glad it got out there in the open. So, um, verse 105, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So obviously God's word is what guides us and directs us. And so, you know, for an example of uh, God's word that's, 
that I'm hanging on is like God gives you words for specific situations. And that's called a rhema word because there's two words that are used uh, to describe God's word, logos and rhema. And they both technically are the same thing. They mean God's word, but the, the slight difference in rhema is that it's, it's a word that God gives you for a specific situation. And so uh, this past week, I've been, we, we went last weekend uh, to the lake and I drove the boat for eight hours on Friday and Saturday. And I had sea legs, you know, where you still feel like you're on the boat uh, the, the next few days, but it hasn't gone away. So I, I'm still feeling like, like as I'm talking to you, I'm rocking. And so I asked the Lord, I was like, Lord, what's the, give me a word about this, these sea legs, you know, because this thing needs to go away. And because uh, it can make me tired and it, make me, it can make me foggy minded at times. And I heard him say Isaiah 26, 7. And so I didn't know what that scripture said, but when I turned to it, it says he makes the upright, uh, his, he makes the upright's path level and his way smooth. <laughs> so only the Lord. And so that's like my rhema word for right now, for until the Lord heals me of this thing and, and, and relieves me of it, which he will do. But I, that's my word to hang on to him and trust him is that he's going to make my way smooth again, literally smooth and level instead of rocky like I'm on a boat. And so I just, uh, I bless you to, when you, you got a situation in your life, you're like, God, what's your word over this situation? Um, when I was teaching school, I was, I was having a hard time. This was back in 2002. And I, I taught kids that were behavior disorders and, and learning disorders. So they, they really didn't want to be at school and they didn't like teachers. And I was their teacher. And uh, the Lord gave me a scripture, Psalm 50, verse 23. And uh, in the, the NIV version, it says, He who offers a sacrifice of thanksgiving prepares the way that I might show him the salvation of God. So the Lord was telling me, he's like, give thanks to me. Right here and right now, even though you can't see a lot to give thanks for, just give thanks and I will prepare your way for you, and I will show you my salvation, which he did. And so, ask God to come into those situations to give Him to give you a scripture for you to hang on. And sometimes you just, it may be you just read until you something grabs your heart. You know, the Psalms are great places to find a word because it describes, it goes through a lot of emotions. But I just encourage you to to ask God to come in to those situations, to give you a word to trust in, to hang on, and to, to, to bring before him. You know, God, you said you're going to make my way level and smooth. I trust you that you will do that.